Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God loves sinners in this way. His Son, who knew no sin, became sin and was crucified and died for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed, the scriptures say, for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every single one to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to this earth not to condemn us, but to save us from the hell and separation from God that our sins deserve. He came to bring peace between God and man by taking away the sin that keeps us from God. That is his purpose. That is his mission. To save us by giving us the benefits of his cross. And Jesus talked about his mission over and over again with his disciples while he was with them on earth. After all, but this message sometimes, sometimes they did not hear it as he talked about it. After all, the disciples, they actually had plans for Jesus. They had plans for themselves. They felt like they were passing on, pressing towards glory as Jesus seemed to lead the disciples and himself from one victory to the next. As they went along, right from the time that Jesus did his first miracle at the wedding feast in Cana, the crowds got bigger and the people were more and more impressed by Jesus as he went along. And the disciples, they were feeling pretty good. Not only was Jesus getting bigger, guess what? They were getting bigger as well. And the people were respecting them more and more. Things were going well. The disciples were loving every minute of their time with Jesus. I mean, at one time, there was 5,000 men, not, people, not including women and children, gathered around him. Who was Jesus talking to up close and personal? It was the twelve. And they seemed to be in charge of the matter. Things were going good for them. But here's the thing. Jesus kept talking, even with all this good stuff going on, Jesus kept talking about suffering. Suffering for the sins of the people. He kept talking about how the love of God would lead him to a place where he would be lifted up on a tree. This talk of the cross, it did not go well with the disciples' talk of glory. 
At one time, as Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. When Jesus said that one time, the disciples were particularly bothered. And Peter even took Jesus aside, respectfully took him aside, and began rebuking him. You see, Peter had plans. He left his income, he left his future to create a new future. He believed that Jesus was going to lead him not only to freedom, but also prosperity. Peter had the head knowledge that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had the head knowledge that Jesus forgave sin, but he still hoped that Jesus in some way would make his earthly dreams come true. And you know what? Before we get too hard on Peter, that hope is not much different than our prayers. We tend to ask Jesus for things that focus on our will being done. Think about the things that you pray for. Now, it's not wrong to ask for daily bread. It's not wrong to say, Jesus, get me through this test. It's not wrong. But most of the Lord's Prayer, if you look at it, actually focuses on our submission to God's will being done in our lives. They're actually prayers of submission to His good and gracious will being done in our lives through His Word, which delivers our Savior to us. But for Peter and for us, it was hard to submit to the unknown, to submit to this talk about future suffering. Especially when at times Jesus foretold of his suffering when things seemed to be so going so good. Jesus, just enjoy this, right? And Jesus' response to Peter's rebuke, it's hard to hear. Jesus said to Peter in public, because people saw Peter rebuke Jesus, Jesus says in public, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, God is about love. He is about giving what is most dear in order to save. To save everyone. Even those who nailed him to the tree. God's will is known in Jesus' words when he prays for those who are crucifying him. When from his mouth comes these words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God is all about giving. Man, that is you and I, when are left to our own devices, man is all about getting. Sure, we give. 
but we are usually weighing out our cost to the benefit that we're going to receive. It is hard to give if we feel like we're being taken advantage of, or if we feel like no one appreciates our giving. Moreover, most of the time, we have our own future in mind, not the future of our neighbor. And in our future, we are always looking ahead to when we can have, well, maybe this one is more me than you, but (laughs) we're always looking ahead to when we have a time of peace and relaxation here on earth. Maybe it comes when the semester's over. Maybe it's after we graduate and get a good job and stop paying money and start getting money. Maybe peace will come when we get married and have a family. I'm not going to say the bad part of that. (laughs) Yeah. It does say, till death do us part. That's that's pretty good. But maybe we say, peace will come when I get kids. Or maybe peace will come when the kids get up and move out, grow up and move out. Or maybe peace will come when we have grandkids to enjoy. You see, for us, most of the time, we are a few short steps away from the happiness that we pursue all our lives. And we never quite get it. It's always, when I'm here, I want to be there. When I'm there, I want to be one more step ahead. And don't we get frustrated when someone comes between us and our happiness? We're angered if someone less qualified than us gets the good paying job that we want. We don't like it if someone gets the benefits that we get when they're doing nothing. We don't like it when someone has a natural talent for something that we love a lot but have to work and train so hard for. We don't like a perceived advantage over us. We want that advantage for ourselves. Yes, left to our own devices, we are very much seeking our own glory, if you will. In other words, without God's intervention, we are very much concerned with the things of man. Our personal happiness our personal fulfillment, whatever that means to you. But Jesus is very clear. This life is not about finding yourself. This life is about being found by the one who came to save us from our sins to save us from this world and our own selves that are all heading straight to hell. And moreover, the life of a Christian, it's wrapped up in Jesus' purpose. He said that on the night that he was betrayed, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you In other words, Jesus told the disciples, 
I was sent because the Father loves the world. And you're being sent with my word because I too love the world. And that message, that message, the, the message of the apostles, it carries with them that you are a sinner, but you are loved by God so much that he gave his son to take away that sin from you. That word, it envelops the life of every Christian. And moreover, Jesus doesn't just send the disciples because he loves the world. Jesus sends his church, that is, he sends you to your classes. He sends you to your jobs. He sends you to your families because he still loves the world. You carry in your very life testimony the fact that God still loves and saves sinners. He loved and saved you. You are not in heaven right now because God is carrying out his saving work through you as you abide in him and bear fruit of love for your neighbor. Jesus explained about his loving work over and over again with his disciples. But like us, they found it hard to look past their own desires and dreams. In our gospel, once again, we see Jesus teaching of his unfathomable, the unfathomable love of God for the world. Jesus taught his disciples in private the message that they were, would later proclaim at the expense of their own lives. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. The disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And they were afraid to ask him about it. You see, they didn't want to be rebuked again in front of each other, like Peter had been rebuked earlier. So they kept silent. And when Jesus was talking about his death, he's talking about his love, his loving, salvific work. But they could not hear it because of their own worldly hopes and dreams. The scripture continues. And when they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? Jesus was inviting the disciples to confess their self-centered wills. To come under the submission of his will to forgive them. But their shame, it kept them from speaking. It says they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. It is really hard for man not to lift himself up, which is really to glorify himself. 
All of us do this in one way or another, even pastors. It, yeah, sometimes I, I, I wouldn't want you to see some of the things that I've, I've said to other pastors when talking about my greatness. We want others to know why they should appreciate us. Why they should hold us in esteem. Don't you see all I do for you? The disciples were all working on the same job under the same boss and they were arguing why they, I, should be in held in a little bit more honor than you. Arguing about your greatness with others, although we all do it, is not great. It's sinful. And sin, by its very definition, puts the self before the other, even at the expense sometimes, and sometimes the harm of the neighbor. We we have all had other people put themselves before us, haven't we? We have. And that means we have all been hurt by the selfishness of other people. On the flip side, we have all hurt other people at times because we have put ourselves before them. The disciples' argument about their greatness, guess what? It didn't prove they were great. In fact, when Jesus confronted them, it only revealed their shame, their sin and shame that he came to forgive. And Jesus was patient with his disciples. His disciples who would later be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those whom he would later feed with his very body and blood. He sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus once again showed them true love and greatness. And by definition, they were not the great ones. Jesus alone was. He alone made himself last and became the servant of all, even though in his very person shows all the glory of God in the flesh. The one who was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration bled for the glorification in heaven all who would receive him in faith. The disciples, on the other hand, were to be like children who submit to the love, care, and provision of their parents. 
They're not to be great in themselves. They are to recognize their dependence on the one who serves them with the Father's love. And they are to, like children, carry out not their own wills. You do you think any child's will is to clean their room? At least not in my house. <laughs> they are to carry out their father's will. And if someone receives them and the word that they carry in obedience to their father's will, that person receives God's love as well. You see, the disciples, you and I, we are not independent, are we? And we're not placed on this earth to be the best best you you can be, the greatest that we can be. Your purpose, no matter what you've heard from Disney movies or action-adventure movies, your purpose is not to shine with your glory. No, we are placed where and when the Father desired so that we might come to know Him and to receive His love for us in His Son. We were placed here that we might be washed in His Word and fed His love in the Supper. And we remain this side of heaven so that we would, in one way or another, through word and deed, show God's love for others. Think about it. How did you come to know Jesus? Who told you about him? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't take that person to heaven directly after they were baptized? Aren't you glad that they were faithful children of the Heavenly Father who carried out His will, seeking your benefit, not their own? In one way or another, in ways that you may or may not know, you are here for the benefit of others as well. And on the last day, The Lord will take you from this valley of sorrow where every hope and dream is elusive and remains just out in front of you. He will take you from this place and take you unto himself in heaven where seeing him face to face will prove to be better than any of the things that we hoped for and dreamt about receiving here on earth. No million dollar home will compare to seeing the eyes of the one who wipes away the tears from your eyes. And as a little child receives from their dear father, I want you to receive Jesus and God's love for you over and over again. And abiding in his love for you, you will be made into the image of his son, as you love others, as you have first been loved. And this will carry on. It will carry on from generation to generation until that last person receives Jesus in the water and the word. 
And may the Lord bring about that day. And may He return for us soon. Until that day, may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until He returns for you. Amen.